suffering with a habit that's become destructive, or maybe you know someone whose habits are impacting you or your family. A secret that is becoming increasingly out of control, or maybe even a full-blown addiction to alcohol, drugs, gambling, food, social media, shopping, or pornography. I'm Emma Heath, and this is my colleague Nat Moody. Over the next 12 sessions, people involved with the National Recovery Course are going to bring you the Recovery Course testimonies. Real people, real stories, and real transformation. The Recovery Course follows the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, but as they were originally intended. A set of 12 spiritual steps where we put Christ back at the heart of recovery. We will cover one step in each of these sessions. The course recognises that our destructive habits are a consequence of pain, hurt, a broken relationship, loneliness, or an issue from childhood. The truth is, we all carry pain, and it's hard to become an adult without carrying some of the baggage of life. We know that identification is key when addressing struggles, and what better way to bring hope than to share in people's stories of how they have been set free from the traps of addiction, compulsive behaviours, and other destructive habits. There was a time when alcohol ruled my life. I drank two litres of vodka a day. I felt hopeless and just wanted to give up. Yet through hearing how other people found recovery and working a recovery programme based on the 12 steps, it gave me a feeling that a life free of addiction was possible. I took the first step in admitting I had a problem and how out of control my life had become. I surrendered and asked for his help, which is key. It's what step one is all about. Step one is we admitted we were powerless over our addiction, that our lives have become unmanageable. It can be quite daunting taking that first step in admitting we have a problem. And it can often seem that there is never a good time to start. Yet it says in Ecclesiastes, in chapter 11, verse 4, from the Living Bible Translation, if you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. The purpose of step one is to enable us to step out of the shadowy world of denial and to start living in the light of truth. It is the most important step of all and is absolutely foundational to the success of this course. It is upon this step that all the other steps are built. If at a later stage we relapse, it is normally this step we have to come back to and do again. In completing this step successfully, a whole new way of life will, will begin for each one of us. One of the first things we are going to ask you is what is your pain? It's a highly emotive, fully charged question, a question that goes straight to the core. You would think that we would ask you about your addiction, the thing that brought you to this course. The truth is the addiction or compulsion or behavior is not the main issue. It is a thing you are using to try and medicate and numb the issue. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 12, from the Message Version, anyone who meets a testing challenge head-on and manages to stick it out is mighty fortunate. For such persons loyally in love with God, the reward is life and more life. If one is coming from the shadows into the light, from the secrecy to the beginning of truth, truth sets us free. 
We want to journey with you, journey along paths we have walked, not as experts or finished articles. For me, having to admit things to myself took me a long time. I gave my life in sacrificial service to others, seeking to be a fixer, a deflection tactic which ultimately meant I never had to face the overarching problem, myself. My low worth, my low validation, by, prioritize, by prioritizing the needs of others, I devalued and gave no self-care or worth to myself. There is a saying that says you cannot pour from an empty vessel. And eventually I found myself empty. Only then was I ready to start step one. We know that there is hope no matter how dark things can feel. We encourage you to listen with an open heart to the testimonies each week and see how God can and will transform even the most hopeless of situations. He did it for us and he can do it for you. We will now hear a testimony from Louise who has a wonderful story of how she has not only overcome addiction, yet is also helping many people to find freedom. Hi, my name's Louise and I've come along tonight to talk a bit about my experience of being involved and leading on the recovery course, but also my personal experience of addiction and how step one relates to my life. So to give you a little bit of context, I'm in recovery primarily from drug addiction, so that my addiction was crack cocaine and heroin and the two very much went hand in hand. But I can also see addiction in lots of other areas in my life. You know, I struggle pretty much on a daily basis with food. I can struggle with gambling, with, with scratch cards. You know, so there's like the things that actually I'd really like to be obsessive about, like cleaning or the gym, it just hasn't happened for me yet. But that's not to say for the people that, that do struggle in those areas, it, it is inevitably very painful. So as a, as a teenager, I was very shy, I was very awkward. I'd gone to grammar school and I was only, there were only five kids from my, my junior school that had gone over to the grammar school. My parents had got divorced along at this point and it, and it was just a really difficult time. And, um, you know, I, I was addicted to lying. I was addicted to all sorts of things, and especially money. So I had a paper round. You know, all the boys that did the paper round got paid £3.50. Yes, I really am that old. And I, I got paid £4. And, and it was very much ways and means to get more money, you know, in later teenage years when I found drugs, you know, the rave scene hit and I absolutely loved it. I was part of something. I was part of this movement. I could take drugs. I could stay up all night. I could dance. I could talk to people. And it really felt like I'd come home. And, and as most people know, the drug use progresses. So my drug use started off on a Friday and Saturday. Friday and Saturday became Thursday, Friday, Saturday, became Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, until the drugs I was using were, were every day. And the first time that I, I truly know that I was powerless over my drug use was when I discovered I was pregnant again for the second time. And I just could not stop smoking crack cocaine. And I knew the impact that it may have on my child. You know, I, I, I'm not 
You know, I, I had morals, I had beliefs, I knew the impact it might have. And I remember standing in a, in a phone box ringing the drugs helpline at the time and said that I was pregnant. I just found out I was pregnant and I was using crack cocaine. And, and their advice was to wean myself off of it. And with the best will in the world, I now know that that was never, ever going to happen. You know, the minute the crack cocaine hit my brain, I, I was off and running and it was, a, it was more and more and more. And I just remember that, that feeling of desperation, of really, really not wanting to harm my child, of loving this, this unborn child unconditionally, but not being able to stop. And um, thankfully, I, I put my hands up, asked for help, and my, my, my child was born um, perfect, perfect. But that, that may not have had that, that impact. And I, I, I was in and out of prison, you know, so I, the first time I went to prison, I thought that, you know, I, I tried committing suicide there. I was close to death um, and, and I had a horrific time. I was bullied, you know, I, they, they, the girls that were there, that, that they could see that I, you know, I was an easy target. The first... First time I went to prison, as I say, I didn't think I'd go back. And then I'd go out with all these good intentions. And basically, for seven years, I was in and out of custody. And I just I just got to that really low point. And um, I, I surrendered, I asked for help, and I did a residential rehab. And during this time, I'd, a church had linked out to me, and I... You know, I became part of a church fellowship, and I really, for the first time, found the 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 missing link. I found the solution for the 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 hole in my soul. You know, the 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 course. You know, something really special happens. Um, I'm an active member of a twelve step fellowship, and I will never take away that that connection because for me. That there is something really powerful in that, but actually developing the the connection with our higher power, God, Jesus, you know, they, that that connection is with you all the time. And for me personally, it has got me out of some really dark holes. So for this first session, I have the great privilege of being able to interview a really good friend of mine, Ian McDowell, who is not just a friend, but also involved with an amazing charity called Tough Talk. So we're going to hear from him today. Hi, Ian. Hello, thank Emma. Are you OK? I'm good. Thank you so much for hey, coming and opening this series with us, with your testimony. So um, I'm a big fan of Tough Talk as well. So we're going to hear about that. So I'm okay. just going to hand it over to you to talk about you and what you do today. OK, yeah. No, well, thanks for having us. Um, Tough Talk. Um, is a registered Christian charity, as you know, and we work uh, around this country and other countries working in prisons and schools, uh, sharing our stories, sharing our life's experiences, um, working a lot with drug uh, rehabs and places like that. So um, hopefully to give people um, uh, something to think about, that if, if, if there's help for us, there's help for them. So uh, that's the kind of aim of it all. Um, I grew up in East London, um, near the best football club in the country, West Ham United. And uh, <laughs> I remember walking into this bodybuilding gym 
and started to lift weights. Um, and the gym itself was, uh, it, they had famous bodybuilders in the past, people like Arnold Schwarzenegger had lived there. And, mm. and I, I, as a young man, just really got into bodybuilding. I, I really enjoyed the training. Um, and bodybuilding, if you've probably never seen the show, Emma, but bodybuilders stand on stage with a little pair of swimming trunks. I have had a lady <laughs> friend that okay. actually was into it. So, so I have seen So you know what I'm talking it. about. I, have, well, yeah. I, I put all on my body and stand there showing off my physique. And that's what I got into. And, uh, uh, and it was it was good fun, but then at one point I was competing, and uh, a friend of mine said, "Ian, if you're really going to do well with this, you need to get on the anabolic steroids. Your body, as a young man, produces around 20 milligrams a day of natural testosterone, and it wasn't long before I was injecting two, three, four hundred milligrams a day into myself, oh. uh, competing two or three times a year, um, doing uh, photo shots and magazines and things. So I was always trying to look my best, taking these steroids, and." Um, as a young person, I always felt quite invincible. I, I never thought that, you know, I always thought I'd be all right. Um, but, you know, there's side effects, consequences for stuff in life, isn't there? And uh, uh, as a young man, I can remember suffering with many side effects um, with the steroids. Um, ended up in hospital, had an operation because of the abuse of the steroids. And I came out, but I carried on thinking, you know, I, I, I'm stronger than this and I'll be all right. And uh, just carried on taking the drug and uh, developed a real temper. Uh, the steroid, I don't know if you've ever heard the expression roid rage, yeah. but I, 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 I started to get so angry. Um, it felt like there was a furnace inside, I was snapping all the time, getting angry, hitting things. I was really becoming an aggressive young man. And uh, probably the worst job I could ever have done at that time was work on the door. Yeah. Um, but I remember sitting in this gym in Bow East London and there was this, uh, there was this fella, we used to call him Mad Dog, and uh, scary individual, bald head, chewed up face, and uh, he's pulled me aside one day, he's like, yeah, son, do you want to work me on the door tonight? And I can remember looking at him thinking, not if I end up looking like you, you know. <laughs> um, but he said, I'll give you double bubble, boy. It was Christmas Eve. He said, mm -hmm. I'll give you double the money, come out with me. Um, yeah, I didn't realise someone just let him down, but I, I just thought, even though I didn't really consider myself a fighting man, um, you know, I, I felt I knew I was a strong young man, but I didn't really want to be fighting to make a living. But um, I was skinny, yeah. and I wanted to get some steroids. It was Christmas. I thought, yeah, okay, I'll do a shift I won't do anymore. So I went to work with Colin. Wasn't long before I found myself working with him and other fellas like him. Um, and the particular gang that I got involved in had birthed out of something called the ICF, which was a football hooligan organisation that kind of birthed out of, of East London. Um, and I would say, Emma, at that point, it was a combination of steroids and, and fighting and all this stuff that just started me on a, a downward spiral. And we were talking earlier before we recorded about powerlessness. And, and I was quite a powerful person, yeah. but at, at the same time, powerless uh, in, in, I couldn't control myself. I lost the ability to control myself, even though I found myself getting arrested, even though I had a contract taken out of my life, I was involved in all sorts of violence. There was a fear that started to dominate me as well, a paranoia. Couldn't walk to the Sainsbury's without a weapon on me. I couldn't get up with, I couldn't sleep without a carving knife under my pillows. There was yeah. so much fear and paranoia. Um, and I can remember um, a fight broke out in a club that I was involved in, um, and it was with another group of doormen. And uh, we, we came off worse, and I ended up in hospital. We ended up in hospital. And um, it, it, a few, a couple of days passed, I got out of hospital. This guy had emergency surgery. So they put metal plates around his head there. They damaged his ear, they wired up his jaw. Um, now, 
this fella, me and this guy, we not only were doing the doors together, bouncing, we was also doing some debt collecting together. And uh, he was just telling me how depressed he was, how suicidal we felt. He said, Ian, I can't see out of this eye. I can't hear properly. I can't eat. He was on liquid foods. He was drinking out of a straw. And he was telling me how he felt suicidal. He was telling me how he wanted to get the feather shot that had done this. I'm, I, ain't got, I don't know what to say to him. I'm just looking at him and I'm thinking, what do I say to this fellow? He's like a six foot five nightclub dorm and running East London at the time. I said to him, oh, why don't you come to church with me? I thought, what was that? <laughs> church, what, what am I talking about? And he's looked at me, he's, church in, ain't not got enough problems as it is. What are you talking about church for? I can just picture your face oh, there. And I'm looking, I'm looking at him thinking I'm panicking because, look, I wasn't a Christian. and I didn't think about God very often and it wasn't really on my agenda, but these words came out of my mouth. And uh, I said, listen, I said, listen, mate. I said, uh, recently I'd had these dreams about God and I told uh, this fella and he took me to this church and uh, I said, at this church they were praying for people that were in a bad way, that, you know, uh, sick and different injuries, different problems. I said, maybe you should get yourself down there. And then suddenly he broke down, he said, Ian, it's, uh, it's suicide or church. <laughs> and I says, mate, if it's that bad, I'll take you there myself. The moment I said that, I regretted it. I never planned to go back to this place. I'd been there once. It wasn't for me, but I, I, I said it. I took him to this church. It was a charismatic, Pentecostal type of place in Canning Town, East London. They met in a school. They were clapping hands, singing. I hated it. I didn't know what was going on, really. But we walked in the back and, uh, and it meant nothing to me. At the end of the day, I wanted to get away. He was invited to another meeting. Some people got round him. They said, do you want to come to this other meeting we're going to? I said, do I have some of that? I thought, no, I'm ducking out of this, Emma. I'm, I've had enough of Christianity. <laughs> I've had enough of God. It's not really for me. Woke up next day, went to see the fella. Right? And we're talking proper East London, hard man gangster, this fella. And um, gone to see him. He takes me upstairs, big smile on his face. Indian. He says, you won't believe what happened. I went to this meeting last night and this fella prayed for me. And he said, I burst out in sweat and heat and I was shaking. He said, and uh, my eyes started tingling, my jaw started tingling. He said, he said, Jesus has healed me. To be honest with you, Emma, I, I, I didn't know what to do. I, I was angry. I was angry with him. I was, I was like, I wanted to get out of here. I thought, don't give me any more of this Jesus stuff, even though I'd kind of got him into it. Emma, I couldn't get God out of my mind. And I was in a bad place. Everything I did was wrong. I was breaking the law. Everything I thought was wrong. Everything I said was wrong. I was an angry, violent young man. Nothing good about me. I'd been homeless. I'd been on the streets. I'd, everything I did seemed to just not work out properly. Um, weapons was my way of life. I had a seven-year prison sentence hanging over my head. I was not nice. If there was a place called hell, I deserved to go there. I can remember thinking, God, if you're real, if you're real, what would you think about somebody like me? And I, I, as I was sitting there, I just suddenly felt an overwhelming feeling of guilt for the, the violence I'd been involved in, um, for the fight that I'd just been involved in. I can remember just saying, Jesus, if you're real, could you forgive me for what I've just done? I can remember driving home and feeling this incredible sense of peace. Mm. Um, I hadn't felt that. I, I felt like I was being loved. Yeah. I hadn't felt that. I'd never had a dad. I felt like I was being loved by a dad I didn't know. I felt this incredible sense that everything was going to be all right. I remember getting home uh, and I had a miracle. I fell asleep. I hadn't slept in weeks. I, you know, my head was always feeling like there was something suffocating me. I felt like there were voices in my head. I can't explain it, but I felt all this darkness lift from me. I can remember waking up and thinking, you know, is that God? 
And do you know what? I, I decided that that was God last night. I better get back to that church. And there I was in this church, and uh, I just suddenly felt comfortable there. And uh, I can remember talking to this fella afterwards. His name was Tony. He invited me around his house for a, a meal. I mean, what's wrong with these Christian people? I couldn't make <laughs> it out. And we got friendly, and we started to pray for me and talk to me. And uh, I can remember he, he sat me down one day, and we were talking, and he said, uh, he said, what was the worst thing you was up to? What was the Because I, I was up to some bad stuff, you know. I was up to, and everything I did was wrong. I said, Tony, behind all the violence, all the breaking of the law, all the debt collecting, all the, all the hurt, all the pain, all the turning my back on anyone who ever cared for me, uh, uh, neglecting people, not liking people, I said it was the constant pursuit of, of winning tr competitions driven by the steroids. I said, and I've realised I'm never going to take a steroid again. I said, the only thing that stopped me from competing these last few months is I developed something called gynecomastia, which is like lumps in your chest, that uh, is a side, another side effect of the drug. And I said, you know what, if I ever had these removed, I'm, I'm not going to compete again. This is what I said to this Tony. I can remember um, a couple of days passed and uh, I suddenly get a letter from uh, the NHS. Oh, what's this about? So I get the letter, I mean, it's from Billericay Hospital, telling me that some surgeon that I'd been speaking to months and like almost two years before about the problem I had, had put me on the NHS waiting list and I was to have an operation in the next few weeks. And I can remember thinking, they tell me there's no God. Yeah. I remember getting on my knees and remember what I'd said the day before about I'm never going to take another steroid, I'm never going to compete again. I remember just praying, God, I just know this is you, you know, and I'm, I'm going to commit to that. I'm never going to take another steroid. I'm never going to compete again. And um, that, I like what you said because it's like he will reach us where we're willing to be heard, you know, that, that thing, and that was so personal to you and you knew that was God speaking to you. I knew that that was, in some ways, my weakness... It was the thing that drove me. Mm. It was the thing that gave me the strength to, to do what I wanted to do. I had a real dependency towards it without even really realising this. It's a different kind of addiction. It's a strange addiction. And um, acknowledging a, that, yeah, dealing with that, um, and realising my weakness in that. Because, mm. you know, as a young man, you, all you think is you're really strong. And, mm. But in that, I was a shallow, weak. It's where you were finding your what you perceive as your identity. I think you're right, and recognising you're really vulnerable, you know, and yeah. I was realising that. And, uh, and I, can, I remember um, sticking to that commitment, um, and for a while I didn't even bother training. I didn't even train, and I thought, I like the training. I started training again, but I knew it was the God of the steroids and the competition had mm. gone for me. Jesus Christ was now Lord of my life, and, uh, yeah. and I, it was all about him. And I said, you know what, I, whatever I can do to, to serve you, Lord. So that's how the whole Tough Talk started. A, a church said to me, can you come in and share your story? I came in, they said, why don't you bring the weights with you? And um, I didn't know how this was gonna work, but we, I remember bringing a couple of pounds. We did a bit of bench pressing, told our stories, uh, and people came to faith. And um, from there, we went to other churches, other prisons, schools, in, uh, we registered it as a charity in 2000. Um, in, in the last 25 years, I've travelled the world. I've worked in prisons from South Africa, India, Russia, through the United States, uh, uh, all across Eastern Europe, all sorts of places, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ through the vehicle of Tough Tool, through the vehicle of the weights. And um, I always think, if God can use someone like me, that it, it, someone who's not really got much talent, not got much depth to him, he could use anybody and... Um, uh, you have got depth, Julian, and <laughs> what you do now is just living testimony of, of where you've been and what you've come through. And I've got this saying of battles into blessings and that's mm. what you do personally, but also with Tough Talk. And we are, we're so grateful to hear that. And, and I've loved hearing 
about the powerlessness you went through mm. um, in your story, but the power you've now got because you know where Amen. that comes from in Christ. Absolutely. Um, and um, for many people watching this, you know, right at the beginning of their journey, to see the journey you've been on, I'm sure will give them so much hope, so much hope. So is there anything you want to, like, add or end with of encouragement for those watching? Yeah, I mean, we called it Tough Talk because in some ways life is tough, isn't it? Yeah. And, it, you know, you always think that um, it's easier for them, it's easier for this person. For me, it's a nightmare. Uh, life is tough no matter whoever you are, wherever you're at. And, uh, you know, you can be middle class, you can be working, wherever it is, life is tough in you, mm -hmm. where you're at. And, um, uh, you know, for me, um, I've found the strength to get through those dark days through my faith in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we have the privilege of working with a lot, you know, you guys on the recovery course and uh, with other uh, drug rehabs all over the world. I've been into places like Hong Kong where we work with, um, uh, uh, forget a name anyway. Jackie Pullinger. That's it, yeah, Jackie Pullinger. Yeah. Places like that, fantastic um, yeah. uh, privilege of sharing and working with guys. And uh, it's my faith in Jesus Christ. That's the depth I've got. And uh, if I can share him and, and he can help, if he can help me, he can help anyone. You can, and, and you touched earlier on our, your identity was in those steroids and it's now become your identity is in him. Absolutely. And that, for many people watching at a very early stage of their journey, at the moment their identity is in their addiction, compulsive behaviour or habit, but it doesn't have to be that way. And your story explains that so well. And we're going to hear lots of other stories as yeah. the series goes on. So, Ian, thank you as thank ever. Thank you. And... You're a blessing to us, and I'm sure you've been a blessing to many today, so thank oh, you. Thank, thank you very much. Thanks for having us. So this week, all we ask is that you take an honest review of your life. Are you struggling with something, something so familiar to you, it's almost easy to pretend it's not a problem? Maybe you identified with one of our guests speaking earlier. You won't ever experience the gift of freedom Christ has for you until you step away from your denial and admit you are powerless and bring that problem into the light. The great news is the recovery course is running all over the country and online. If you want to find out more, you can watch the full TBN recovery course series or visit our website www.therecoverycourse.com. You can email us at info at therecoverycourse.com or you can follow us on one of our social medias. Join us next time for session two where we will look at the second step. We look forward to seeing you then. Goodbye from us both.